0: Thanks for tuning into the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more information, you can go to woodsedge.org or look us up on Facebook under Woods Edge Students. What's the vision of Woods Edge Community Church? We don't have time. It's a rhetorical question. I'm going to answer for you. It's right up there. See? Everybody makes disciples. Everybody makes disciples. Now, church, we're pretty good at becoming a disciple, most of us, sometimes, a little bit. But we're not supposed to just be a disciple. We're supposed to Become a disciple so that we can go and make disciples. And the vision of Wood's Edge is hinged on that one fact. Everyone, no exceptions, makes disciples. Um, Vision point number two, we want to see ten movements of God where discipleship becomes so rampant that we like lose track of it. And people are making disciples that are making disciples, hence a movement of God. And the church is already part of a couple of those, but we want to see 10, five local, five international. We want to experience, there's a vision point that we cannot manifest on our own. We want to experience ongoing revival at our church. We want to just be hearing and seeing, witnessing miracles, the supernatural, healings, receiving words from the Lord, deliverance, people coming to Jesus in mass and with their whole hearts. And the fourth vision point is we want to see Our city, our area become known as a city of God, a place of God, not so that we can say, look at us, but so people will see God as present and we can say, look at what God is doing. I heard a great one-liner of high praise. I would not say this of you on my own, but somebody said this past week um, that the vision of Wood's Edge is being carried out with such clarity, with such success in the student ministry. And you guys, I want to just pause as we begin and just applaud you in taking your faith and putting it into action so well, so fully. You guys are so willing to hear what God has to say and act on it and share it with your friends and come to small groups and be accountable and invite accountability. You guys are living the mission of Wood's Edge, and it's a beautiful thing to see. God is so proud of you, but you are encouraging the rest of the church. And so thank you, Jesus, for you guys and your faith. And thank God for what he's just chosen to do in our midst. And we should embrace that and be thankful for that and use it to the full. Last week, I talked to you guys about what it means to be all in. These four vision points are not going to happen. Um, if we just kinda, we're not going to just slip into them. We're not just going to stumble into ongoing revival. We need to commit and be all in. And you guys, again, are doing great in that. But we emphasized what all in looks like last week when we talked about Matthew 28 18 through 20, I'll just read it again. This is the Great Commission. This is the last thing Jesus said before leaving earth for heaven, so you think it might be a little important. Jesus came and told his disciples, of whom we are disciples. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this I am with you always even to the end of the age. God has given us everything that we could possibly need to meet this vision, to see a great work of God in not just our age but our city. He's given us all authority. He's charged us to share all the commands. He has said go into all places, so just know that he will bless you if he's calling you somewhere, just own it. And pray about it and go. And then he said, I am with you. Never forget this. I am with you always. Even here at church right now? Absolutely. Even in Africa, even at school, everywhere, all the time, he is with you always. That's a beautiful thing. It's intimidating. It's scary. It's awesome to know that he's with us all the time. So how do we change the world? How do we embrace this calling and run with it? Well, we need to live in and be all in on these four points. We're going to talk about one specifically today and next week, being all in with regard to this, teach these disciples to obey all the commands. It is our responsibility to teach the disciples all of the commands, which means we need to know them, and we need to be able to discern, to tell the difference between truth and lies. And you guys know as well as I do, maybe even better, that we live in a culture that is saturated with lies. We live in a time, we um, have experiences through, I keep looking up, hoping it's there. We have experiences through the media, and it's just a constant parade of nonsense and untruths. Um, In Isaiah, which we teach the Vineyard Initiative out of Isaiah, and it says that the Vineyard Initiative, that the song that we teach on the fall, is preceded by a time of just nobody recognizes God's voice everybody's lying to each other and there's no justice in the courts and you just see a lot of that. Now, I know historically that every single generation, including the disciples right after Jesus left, believed they were living in the end times. They were expecting Jesus to come back at any point. And I believe that about our generation too. But I mean, it could be another thousand years, but it could be today. It could be this afternoon. But we live in a time, we live in a world that's broken and fallen and we are so desperate, even if we don't even know it, for truth. So, If we're supposed to teach everybody all the commands, we need to know them, and we need to become experts at telling the difference between what is true and what is false. So we're talking, in honor of Valentine's Day, about discerning truth from fiction, about dating and relationships, about sex and heart matters, all right? So... I want to preface this by just saying um, I, I shared this message with the junior high, kind of like the, the less than PG version, but you guys get the full package because you know, hey, you're my senior high. This message is not pointed at any single one of you. Some of you guys, I'm going to be talking, and you're going to be like, "Oh my gosh, he's talking about me." I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about anyone. I'm talking to everyone, and that includes me. Okay, just know that. All right, so. Part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this and it's great that Valentine's Day was right here because i read an article on social media because you know that should run our lives. I read an article on social media the other week written by a pastor and he gave 10 tips about dating for Christians based on the Bible. And I read this and I'm just reading it and I'm like, this is just heresy. This is blasphemy. There's no truth in this. I mean, it's entertaining and it's written well and it's interesting but this guy says he's a pastor and he says these are based on biblical truths and he only referenced the Bible three times in these 10 points and all three biblical references were misused. And then I looked up the guy, I read the about page about who this man was and I'm not a judge, it's between him and the Lord, but I highly doubt he knows Jesus. I mean, his way of coming to Jesus was so ridiculous and drug-induced, written right there, I'm just like, really? And their whole, the whole idea behind it is, we are all about challenging the norm. The norm being the Bible itself. Let's challenge the Bible like they were flaunting it. And here they are targeting teenagers when you guys are becoming aware of love and sex. And they write this article that says, 10 tips for Christian dating. Like, here's how to do it. And it was written with such reckless abandon, with no respect for the power of your heart and sex, that like a good Christian, I wrote a rant on Facebook, right? That's what you do Thank you, thank you. One of my very, very few. But I want to start off, and I just want to breeze through what I wrote to set the tone for this um, message. All right. I think something like 40,000 people read this article, and many of them claim to be Christians, and the prevailing comment after this article that was just based on nothing was, truth, exclamation point. Oh, this is so true. Oh, I'm so glad somebody finally said it. And these are Christians, and some of them, like from around here. And I'm like, there's nothing further from the truth than what this person is writing. So here's my response, because I'm a political activist. Truth is a strong word, and I don't believe this article deserves it. The romantic relationship is the most powerful and transformative relationship that two people can enter into. And this blogger is far too blasé about that fact. And as such, I don't find their advice to be true. Rather, it is trite. And reckless. Yes, Jesus came to set us free, but freedom demands respect. God calls his kids to use their freedom in a way that leads not only themselves but other people closer to his holiness and their ultimate happiness. And yet, at the heart of this article, the author is calling God's kids, me and you, to do things just like the rest of the world. And I don't see a lot of happiness or holiness in the way that the world does things. In fact, I see a lot of hurt, and I see a lot of pain, and I see a great deal of that pain originating with decisions to give our hearts away before we realize how powerful and precious they truly are. Why does dating demand our respect? Because we are God's children and poor Premature dating decisions don't just result in us hurting ourselves, but other people too. Other of God's kids. And it doesn't hurt like a pinch on the arm or a slap in the face. It wounds the very deepest part of ourselves, our soul. When we give our heart to someone through sex, marriage, dating, it ties us to that person forever. It has the power to affect both parties on an eternal level, a soul altering level. Think about that. That is an amazing, ridiculous, profound amount of power to be responsible for. And to wield that sort of power with an attitude of, let's just have fun, can be very dangerous. The decision to give or receive a heart is a personal one. And it should be entered into with freedom, joy, and excitement, but also with reverence. Far more reverence than the world calls for. All right, rant over. Oh, shoot! All right, so today we begin a series, a mini-series, of water, water of life, it's true, all right, called the lies we believe, made a pretty slide, enjoy it, all right, the lies we believe in honor of Valentine's Day, the lies we believe about romantic relationships, couple examples of the lies that we believe about romantic relationships, dating, no big deal, dating's no big deal, just do it, just try it, you like her, go for it, you think it's hot, date him, figure it out, it's no big deal, it's a huge deal, it's a monster deal. What's well, another lie that we believe about romantic relationships? Fooling around. Well, you know, I didn't do this, so it's okay. We didn't go this far, so it's not that big a deal. Lies. It's all a big deal. It's all a huge deal. When you give your body a little bit or a lot to someone else, monster deal. Marriage. No big deal. did not work out. We'll get divorced. no. Horrible, horrible way to approach it. It's a huge deal to get married. It's a huge deal to get a divorce. Sex, no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Feels good. Must be good, right? It's a huge deal. It is a monster deal. I can't, there's not a word big enough for me to stress how powerful and profound sex is and what happens, not just on a physical, but a spiritual level when we give our bodies that fully to someone else well what about just just looking I'm just looking at somebody I'm just like oh, that's not a big deal you know I'm not uh, touching them I'm not dating them because I know I am messed up but I'm just looking I'm just like hi that's not a big deal right it is a big deal it's a huge deal the way that we look at people it affects not only them In some cases, but it affects us always in every case. So, if we want to talk about sex and dating, we want to talk about discerning truth from fiction, what does the Bible say about romantic relationships? Well, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is Adam and Eve right at the beginning. Slide. It's not there. All right. A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this is talking about marriage, and it's saying the two people will leave their families and they will come together and they'll be joined together. And then from one and one, that's two, they'll come together, no longer two, they are one now. It just said that marriage makes two people into one person. They are tied together, not just on a physical level when they consummate. On a spiritual level, they are now one person. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. In fact, later on in the Bible, when we're talking about marriage, at the end of explaining all this awesome truth that can be gleaned from marriage, it says, and by the way, it's a mystery. We won't even understand the full power and privilege of marriage until we get to heaven. The Bible says it's actually, a lot of it is just a mystery. You, you can't understand it with your human mind. All right. Marriage is two becoming one. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't really apply to me because, you know, that only applies to married people, right? Raise your hand if you're not married. So, a lot more of you than I thought, right? So that doesn't apply to me. Well, let's look at another verse, First Corinthians 6. This is the New Testament. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one flesh. Now, here is a passage that's clearly talking about the physical. It's talking about sex. And it just said and referenced and quoted the passage from Genesis where they were talking about marriage. So here, God is saying, yeah, it's just sex, but it's not just sex. It's never just sex. In fact, when you have sex, even with a prostitute, not what's more, with your love with your girlfriend boyfriend you are becoming one no longer two one on a more than a physical level a spiritual level soak in that a soul altering level oh it's just sex never just sex okay well that doesn't apply to me that only applies to people that are fooling around right maybe some of you guys have never gone there or you're not currently great but let's look at one more. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Adultery means that you go after someone that is already married, right? And that you can be married, or maybe you're not married, but the other person is, and to go after them when they are already in a committed relationship in the eyes of God, that's a sin. It's called adultery. You have heard the commandment that says you must not get adultery. commit adultery. It's a big word. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And all the scriptures that we've just used and will use in a few minutes, I don't care if it says the man, this goes both ways. Girls look at guys with lust in their hearts, guys look at girls with lust in their hearts, and when we do that, this is Jesus talking, Matthew chapter 5, we have committed adultery. How is that possible? They're not married. Well, who do they belong to? They belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. You're looking at me. I'm looking at you. We're looking at each other with lust. We are committing adultery. And I would wager we're all probably guilty of that at some point in time. Not to mention that when we look at somebody with lust, it corrupts and perverts the way we look at them in the future as well as the whole gender. Object. That's what I see now. Not a son or a daughter or somebody's mom or dad. Object. Sex object. And you do that long enough, that's all you can think about. It's not just a psychological thing, it's a spiritual thing. And God says take it seriously because when you look at somebody with lust, you are committing adultery with one of God's kids. Big deal. Huge deal. Who we share our bodies with and who we give our hearts to is a huge deal couple of examples. What does it mean to be one flesh, right? What does that really mean? I got some illustrations. You guys remember from Freedom, if you were here, I I can't stop using the chains. I love them so much. I need somebody to come and be my spouse for a minute because Brooke is not in the room. What's up, Malachi? It's awkward. No, I got to have a girl. Go away. Come on, Jenny. Come on. No, he's just walking over there to get a drink. Come on, Jenny. All right. So let's say that... Ginny and I are married. Put that on your wrist, but not really, because it takes a long time to get it off. Just kind of set it on there. So, I don't care which one, but don't lock it! Or you're staying up here for the rest of the message. So did you have... You do have a small wrist, but you can't get out of it. If it was truly locked, you're in there. And you guys remember from Freedom what I said? There's a silly quote, you're messing up my sermon, in the eyes of the Lord. You guys remember that funny little colloquialism that we had at Freedom? What is it called when you're married to somebody? You have a ball and chain, right? Here's the chain. What's up? So, you guys, we say we're married. We have chained ourselves to each other. We have tied ourselves to each other, not just physically, but spiritually. And we are, we are now one, right? Sorry, Brooke. But still, you guys, you can't break this chain. It's one and done. Once it's happened, you are I'm tied to Jenny for the rest of my life. Help me. Just kidding. Give me my thing back. My chain. Go away. All right, give it up for Jenny. All right, had some fun with that, but still, you dating anybody? Fooling around? Looking inappropriately? It's like you're chaining yourself to that person, and you can't break those chains, and there's only one key. Take it seriously, you guys. It's not just marriage. It's physical, too. When you commit physical acts, you are joining spiritually. And that's a big deal. Another example, give me a guy, Malachi, what's up? Come on. All right, Malachi, hop up here. It's very appropriate that you're wearing that color shirt. All right, come, come, don't be scared, don't be scared. It's okay. All right, Malachi, we're gonna do a Play-Doh illustration. We got some pink Play-Doh representing the girl. We got some blue Play-Doh representing the guy happened last service too come on play-doh ready boom all right stand show show what you got all right so you got this stud all right no don't stop this represents the guy this represents the girl all right they like they're like alone nobody's around and then they're like hey baby and whatever right now smush them together make a ball there, you know, two became one. Show me what you got in just a minute. Like, nice and like, they really like each other. All right. Okay. Show the crowd what you got. So two have become one. This is what happens when we date, we are agreeing in our heart. I don't want to be alone. I want to be with you. And a soul tie is formed. It's also formed when we like, whatever. And so now they are indistinguishable. I mean, you can tell the colors, right? You can kind of see, okay, that's him and that's her. All right, Malachi, separate what you put together. I don't want any pink to be on any blue and vice versa. Like, pull them apart anytime. It took you like 10 seconds to put together. This is way too long. I I don't think you're a pro at it either. Do you know why? Because you cannot fully separate it. They are one forever. So, okay, the pink one, only a little bit of spots of blue, but the boy, poor broken-hearted boy, like, he is loaded up with pieces of that girl. Here, these are for you, go away. Give it up for Malachi. When you take two and you put them together in one, you cannot fully separate. I mean, what do they say at weddings? What God has joined together, let no man separate. You know why? Because you can't separated. And you shouldn't try in the eyes of the Lord. You're married, you're together. He intended it to be one, and he intended it to be forever. And you can't fully separate. I'll give you a a, a ridiculous example, but it's true, and I've witnessed it in other people. I dated a girl pre-Brooke, as I did with many, unfortunately, just stupid decisions based solely not on, I want to make you happy, but I'm lonely and pathetic, and I need somebody. Literally, And I dated this girl, and I found out very soon in our relationship she was a compulsive liar. We're talking spiritual level, right? That's what happens when we join ourselves to somebody, whether through physical or, like, giving your heart away. And you guys, within two weeks of dating her, I started to realize I'm, like, lying all the time. Not about the fact that we're dating, but just about stupid stuff. And we dated for months. And when it was over, I walked out of that relationship, and I had joined my heart to this other person. I had given them my heart. They gave me their heart. We tied ourselves together on a spiritual level. And when I walked away from that relationship, I had a compulsive lying problem. It was a spiritual thing for her, and it totally carried over hand of God. And I wrestled with that, and I had a hard time getting free of that for years afterward. We dated for months. I struggled with it for years. I couldn't stop lying. I can't explain it. It was a deep spiritual thing, but you guys, you ever dated somebody? You ever given your heart to somebody and you walk away and like, there's part of them with you and it hurts and it's confusing and it's hard to unload and part of you is with them. You ever date with somebody and you are done and you're like, I feel like part of me is gone. Part of you is gone. You gave it away before it was time. God, I could talk so much about this. All right, Again, we're going to hit some of this next week, so maybe we'll carry over. I want to give you guys another example. We're so eager to rush into dating with no idea the power behind dating. It made me think of this famous quote. Um, Slide, not there. All right, you might recognize this quote. It comes from a guy named Esoruku. I don't know if that's right. Yamamoto, pretty sure that's right. Here's the quote. Oh, I didn't write it down. Can you? Oh, there it is. I fear all we have done to is awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. General Yamamoto, I fear that all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. Does anybody know who that guy is and why he said that? That's right. The admirable, admirable. He was the admiral of the Japanese Navy. He led and planned the assault on Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor, one of the arguably the greatest Japanese military conquest in history. They totally caught the Americans off guard. They annihilated her Pearl Harbor. It was such a one-sided victory, and he leaves after this amazing victory, and everybody's like, General Yamamoto, you're awesome. Great job! And you'd think he'd be like, yes! No, immediately he says this I fear that all we have done is awaken a sleeping giant. When we rush into love, it's like, and before we're ready or they're ready or it's ready, it's like waking up a sleeping giant. The Japanese completely planned that military strike to perfection. They won that battle, nobody questions it, but what happened in the war? They lost the war because they went in and they weren't ready for the full fight. And as a result, pictures, I got a before and after shot of Hiroshima. And there's this city with all these buildings and streets and stuff, and then after Hiroshima, it is nothing. Oh, there you go. show the next one. There's nothing there. It's just the topography. Every building gone. People gone they were annihilated and you guys we invite that kind of destruction upon ourselves when we give our hearts away to people that we were never supposed to just because they're hot or popular or complimented you when you were having a bad day and you're just like "What so there's your heart beautiful pristine just the way god made it doesn't really look like that but still and then here's your heart when you get destroyed and devastated, and how do you put that back together? And that happens when, not all the time, that's not the point of love, but it is what happens when we give our heart away too early. All right. So, you know, there's a book in the Bible, just simple eight little chapters about love, specifically romantic love, and it's a beautiful poem, this song about how to engage in love. It's the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. It's so beautiful. One of my wedding verses is Song of Songs 2, 10 through 12. It's on my ring. It's such a profound letter. But I remember reading a one-liner from this letter all about this man and this woman that are right about to be married. And it's their story of how they fell in love and how they go on to be married. And I read this one-liner in it and it was so impactful and I didn't understand it fully but my spirit as your spirit is wont to do when you read scripture, was just like, that is so true. And here's what it said. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. I read that years ago, before Brooke, and I was like, that's true. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. Does that sound true to you? Does that resonate with you? Do not... Awaken love until the time is right. This thing is packed with symbolism. She's swearing by the gazelles, and this could just as easily be, promise me, O men of Jerusalem, not to awaken love. But she's swearing by the gazelle, the gazelle, the purest of creatures. It's humble, it's gentle, it's pure. It represents love itself. So she's literally swearing by love, For the sake of love, don't awaken love until it's ready, until at the right time. And she's telling them by using the illustration of the gazelle how to love. Love, when you are in a romantic relationship, you should be pure, you should be humble, you should be gentle. And that's not the illustration of love that we have today. Love is all about machismo and being powerful and having the upper hand and being, you know, braggadocious and walking around with a lot of swagger, but God's purpose for romantic love, the way it's supposed to look is lovely, gentle, pure, and humble. And there's also a cool thing in here. She's swearing at night. Right? Don't awaken love. So love's asleep. So she's swearing at night. And what are some things that we know about the night? Night, it's colder at night. It's dark at night. We're drowsy at night. What she's saying is, You're in the dark. You don't have a full appreciation for love, so don't wake it up until it's ready because it'll hurt you and the other person. You guys, your age, right? I I hate talking to you like teenagers sometimes, but that's what you are. At your age, love is stirring up in you. Maybe it started a couple years ago. Maybe it's going on right now. Maybe it's like right around the corner. But this is the age, right? Where Where love is being stirred up and you're having a desire for it in all its forms. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. It's who you are. But just because you're waking up to it a little bit doesn't mean you're, you're ready to wake it up to the full. Because if you leap into the first relationship that you can possibly get into because it's just stirring, you think that person is like the one that God planned for you, made for you from the beginning of time? That's a big gamble. gamble. Huge gamble. So the first interesting point about this passage, this little one-liner, do not awaken love until the time is right. I read that years ago. It struck me. I'm like, wow. I researched it this week. I found out that line is not just said in Song of Solomon once, not just twice, but three times. And you know God means it when he repeats something more than once. Three times it's in there. Not only that, I researched it and found out that this one-liner, do not awaken love until the time is right, that is the theme of the entire book of Song of Songs. I had no idea. It's the theme of the whole book. Do not awaken love until the time is right. And you read Song of Songs, and these two are fools or are missing each other left and right. And yet it's supposed to be the ideal love story. Even when they knew this is the one for me and I love them and I love her, they're still struggling because it's so powerful. It's like you can barely get your hands around it. Three times in there, do not awaken love until the time is right. The first and the second occurrence is specifically talking about physical love. Being exhorted not to awaken physical love until the time is right. I could spend a whole sermon on each of these examples, but we're just going to burn through them. And I invite you in the name of Jesus to ask the Lord which one of these you're supposed to pay attention to. So, do not awaken love. What does that mean? Don't excite it. Don't stir up love in yourself. How do we stir up love in ourselves? Do you ever just lay around dreaming and obsessing about the object, the person of your love? When you do that, you are stirring up love in yourself. Maybe that's not the person for you, but if you sit and you dream and you obsess about that person, I'm not talking stalker obsessed, well, that applies, but like, just like, her hair's so pretty, I like his calves. Like, if you just dream about, I wonder what my name would say. I'm going to write it a thousand times with his love. If you dream and obsess about it, you are stirring up love. And the more you do that, the more this person that's like should have just been an acquaintance or a friend, you are causing your heart to awaken to the idea of loving this person. You're doing it. And then you're like, I love him. Like, no, you just dreamed yourself into this place. I'm not trying to belittle anybody. Just an example. Another way that we can excite or stir up love in ourselves is inappropriate use of touch. Now, you know the silly example of being in church and, you know, the pastor's all about the side hug, right? And that's, that's it. But like, you guys, a whole lot of like, what's up, Nate? Just like, hi. Oh, you're such a good, I'm going to just hold on to you forever. You guys, now, nothing against Nate, but like, Because we're waking up to the idea of love. You're just like, oh, she likes me. She likes me mucho. Or vice versa. And you put that on that person by like being, hello, you know? Don't stir up or excite love in somebody by doing that because the way that you hug, as simple as a hug, can cause somebody to go home and obsess about you and be like, can't wait for next week when I go to church for that hug. That's not why I want you guys to come here. What's another way that we can stir up ourselves? Two examples. Very important. Sex is the most intimate thing you can do with another person. Next to, I would say second to, prayer. When you sit down and pray with somebody, you're inviting God into your experience, your moment, your union. And if You guys go off and pray privately together. I can't say it's a bad thing. But if you are of the opposite sex and you go and pray alone with someone, you are inviting intimacy and power that you can't even imagine into that moment. And when you do that, it stirs things up. Oh, he's so holy. He prays for me so great. Man, she just spoke such a word of truth to me. I love her. That was God but we confuse them, and you're like, that person is the one for me. And God was like, no, I was just answering your prayer. (laughs) So be very mindful of the power of praying with somebody alone. It's powerful. And I would say the same thing is true of getting alone and bearing your soul with someone alone of the opposite sex. Because when I get with you And I'm just like, these are my deepest hurts and my deepest fears. Like, I'm bearing my soul, and I am, in essence, giving my heart to you. And you're going to be like, man, Pastor Justin really trusts me, and I like that bald head. You guys got to be careful with who you share your heart with. Because they're like, wow, they don't do that with her, her, and her, so he must love me. You guys, there's so much power that happens when we get alone with somebody and bear our soul. Maybe they just needed a shoulder to cry on, but now it's just very confused. So be careful with that. Here's another thing, another way to look at it. Don't stir up love in yourself. Do not stir it up in others. Not pointing fingers at anybody. In fact, I'm just going to look up while I say it. Promiscuous clothing and behavior stirs people up. If you are using your body... Guys and girls, if you are using your body to draw attention to yourself and be like, you know, either look at me or like, look at whatever, you are stirring somebody up. And somebody might be like, hotness, I want that. I want her. We're supposed to be together forever. When really all you were attracted to was a shirt or some tight pants. You guys, girls, don't stir up love in other people by what you wear. Humble pure, gentle. All right. Being interested in slash pursuing somebody that's already in a relationship. Come on. You guys, don't go there. They already got their own mess, believe me. But don't go pursuing them and stirring them up and making them think, oh, well, her or her? I don't know now. Maybe I can do both. I don't know. Can I? I don't have enough money, but still. You guys, it's so confusing. Do not... Stir up love in other people, especially when they're in a relationship. And then remember, if you're just looking at somebody that's not in a relationship, it's considered adultery. Just remember, their dad, God, is, knows what's going on, knows how you're treating his son or her, his daughter. Um, oh, I could say so much more. You guys, God loves us. He loves you. but He hates sin. And he especially hates sin that affects other people. He hates it when you hurt yourself, but he really hates it when you hurt other people. If you're stirring up lust or feelings of attachment in other people intentionally, you are hurting them, and he does not like that. Not from a place of, oh, I can't wait to get them back, but you're hurting yourself and you're hurting them. I was in a romantic relationship when I was 16 years old. It was two and a half years long. I gave all of myself to her, and I never should have. She was not good for me, but I was lonely. All my friends were dating, and it wrecked me. It wrecked me so bad that when she dumped me and the next day started dating one of my best friends in the locker two things over, I was so wrecked that I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna go and date one of her friends. And I did. And then that relationship didn't work out, and so I went and got another girlfriend, and that one didn't work out, and I got another one. And for the next decade of my life, I didn't figure out who I was or who God was or who he made me to be. All I was concerned about is I can't take the pain from that first one and so I'm going to keep burying it and burying it and burying it with others until the point where I finally came to Jesus and gave all of myself to him and he needed two solid years of me being single just so I could figure out, oh, this is who you made me to be because I had tied my soul to so many other people I didn't even know who I was. You guys... You have no idea the power, the privilege, the purpose of love. Respect it. We're so out of time. Um, you guys, let's, one last example. The band can come up. I'm sorry you're going to be a little late getting out today. Look at Adam and Eve. Look at Adam and Eve. Count the cost before you just throw your heart at somebody because it could not only hurt you it might hurt them too adam and eve one rule don't touch this not because god is like i like all the apples but because god was like if you eat this it is going to wreck you it is going to annihilate you it is going to destroy you you don't know what you're dealing with you're not ready for that don't touch it but they did and what happened immediately filled with shame and guilt. They're removed from God's best for them. They are banished from the garden. And did it just hurt them? No. It hurt every single man, woman, or child that has come since them. We are living in a world full of corruption and lies because Adam and Eve couldn't wait, couldn't be obedient. When we sin, we hurt other people. Brooke, My wife was worth waiting for, but I did not wait well for her. And so much of the fights and almost divorce that happened our first two years of marriage was because I was such a fool before I even knew her. You have a spouse. Maybe they're in this room. Maybe they're in Africa. What you are doing with your body and your heart now could totally be wrecking them, hurting them, causing you to miss... This perfect person that God made for you. So perfect that if you jack yourself up enough, he's going to be like, you know what? I'm sorry, but I'm not going to subject her to you or vice versa. Respect the power of tying yourself to someone through sex or dating. Respect it because it can destroy you, but it can hurt them. Hurt somebody you don't even know yet. I'm going to close this in some prayer. We're going to respond. We're going to go a little late. If you have to jet, go, go but wait for the prayer to be done. I'm going to explain response first. We have our tithe. We have our communion. You know what it means. You know what it is. If you don't, come talk to me. Next to tithe and communion on both sides, we have some posters, and I think I referenced this to you guys before, but that awesome Friday night in worship at Freedom where we caught that ridiculous shot of that spiritual presence, which we felt we didn't have to see it, but God let us see it, so we're not here to worship an image or an idol But God has used this picture to like cause people to question their faith, cause people to come to church again, cause people to be like, that's amazing. I want that. I'm going, I'm going to get my word. Well, somebody saw this on social media that has no affiliation with the student ministry and reached out to me and said, I feel a burden from the Lord. I know I'm supposed to do this. If you will make a poster, I will pay for it. And I want you to print these and give them to anybody and everybody that wants one in the student ministry. So, on the side of the response stations, we have one of these guys for each of you. Yes, it's a free poster, so yay. But you guys, remember the scripture that we want to use this image as a reminder of. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am. God is in this house this morning. He's in your heart. He's in your relationships. No offense. And... As you are making your decisions about who to date and who to give your heart to, you need to remember that God is like in that. He's there whether you invite him or not because he's your father and he loves you and he's close at hand always. So take advantage of that and invite God into your decisions about who you give your heart to. I did this myself, so I would wager some of you may have to. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm just not going to talk to God about it. I'm going to do it anyway because it seems like the right thing. He's right there. Ask him what he thinks. In the Bible, a hundred times, God says, wait for me. He's not saying, no, you can't have this. He's just saying, wait, which means maybe you will get to have this, just not yet at the right time. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Woodside Student Ministry Podcast. Please feel free to share copies of this podcast, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information, please visit woodsedge.org or find us on Facebook under Woods Edge Student.